There's only seven things a person in a management team can control. Your management team are responsible for your profit and your working capital. There's seven levers. Price, volume, margins, and overheads. Those are your four drivers of profit and your three drivers of working capital, receivable days, inventory days, or in a service company, work in progress days, and payable days. Hello, and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse, and today I am talking with and learning from Alan Miltz. Alan is a chartered accountant from South Africa and now resident in Melbourne, Australia. He's the co-author with uh, Vern Harnish of the cash element of scaling up Rockefeller Habits 2.0. And I met Alan a few years ago now um, and was just blown away by the way in which he can talk to a group of CEOs, business owners, entrepreneurs, and just completely have them quivering wrecks in a few minutes. He he takes this idea of cash flow and he says, look, do you all understand cash flow? And everybody nods. And then he says, okay, please explain it to me. And And then people find it then incredibly difficult to just explain what it was that they thought they understood clearly. And so Alan's made it his mission to help businesses avoid growing broke. So one of the things is, you know, creating a cash flow ladder of your products or customers so that you know what the working capital and cash implications are of another dollar of revenue to that customer cohort or for that product. So we talk through the levers that the leadership team in your organization or you as an entrepreneur should be able to pull. And we've got some great examples. A shorter episode than normal because Alan sits on the board of a equipment manufacturer in Saudi Arabia and he had to drop off and do a job interview with uh, with a new hire there. But he does talk about their how they were very profitable, but the business that they were in, because of the payment terms that they had in place, uh, was disastrous in terms of working capital. So they culled some business units and now they've turned that business into a cash cash machine. So some great examples. I, I've got some from clients that I work with. He's got some as well. We take you through it and go and have a look at mycashflowstory.com where the software resides um, there's a load of videos as well online, Alan talking about 
how to use the software. Fantastic conversation with Alan. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Good morning from Melbourne, Australia. My name is Alan Miltz and I'm a co-founder of Cashflow Story and a co-author of Scaling Up, having written the financial component. And Alan, what do you do? <laughs> Good question, Dom. <laughs> I think about that question every day. So I've dedicated my life to making numbers understandable to business. So I've created and developed techniques for the last 25 years. My systems are used by hundreds of global banks and thousands of companies in over 93 countries. So I take a set of financial statements and I convert them into a story and I teach people how to implement improvement in their business. So everything I've done is about scaling up profit, cash and value. Was there a road to Damascus moment? Why did you end up having this sort of life purpose around simplifying cash flow? Okay, so that's a good question as well. When I first arrived in Australia uh, about 30 years ago, I was involved when the clothing company Esprit was being set up. Oh, yeah. I was trained as a chartered accountant in South Africa and emigrated to Australia. And after a few years at Esprit, I decided I'm unemployable. I have to work for myself. <laughs> and I started to advise companies in the clothing, footwear, textile sector. And wherever I went, I realized no one understood the numbers. People were developing strategies and people were discussing their business transformation, but it was all about the strategy and no one really understood the financial impact. And in South Africa, we were probably the best trained chartered accountants in the world, which is amazing. And three of us got together. We were all South African immigrants, all chartered accountants. And we said, let's create a business which converts numbers into knowledge. And, and our first target market was the banks. And every bank was using Moody's as their analysis engine. And the three of us quite naively thought we could do something better. And our reasoning was, if a bank does its job well, it speaks to the credit guys in complex credit language, but it should speak to the, to the customer in a language that they understand, not in credit talk. So we developed technology which the bank could use internally to speak to the credit guys, similar to Moody's, but externally in a way that the business saw the bank was their partner. And this completely changed the way banks started to communicate because banks were about building partnerships. So we actually revolutionized the way banks look at numbers. So the biggest mistake that I made, or we made, was we got diluted heavily along the way because we raised private equity. And as we grew, we got diluted and then we grew around the world. And then we sold the company too early. So the company today, my original company, is one of the biggest banking software companies in the world. It's used ah, okay. by about 500 of the global banks. And then two of the founders, myself and another guy, Joss Milner, we said, let's focus on business because that's our true love. And we founded Cashflow Story. 
And it was all about simplicity. It was about realizing people who were running companies were not trained accountants. But if we could converse and communicate to them in a way that they understood, it would be revolutionary. And today, cash flow story is being used in 93 countries around the world. So our vision, our goal is getting there, but many years still to play out. So I've seen you speak a few times and you do a pop quiz for the audience about what is cash flow. So maybe we should uh, we should try and get that across to the audience because people will be listening going, okay, well I, well, I don't know what he's talking about. I know what my cash flow is. But I've seen you turn a group of several hundred people who are absolutely confident they knew what cash flow story was into, I was going to say gibbering wrecks, but that's not quite right. But certainly nervous that now they realize they didn't actually know what they were talking about. So, Dom, every single talk I start and end the same way. Revenue is vanity. Profit is sanity. Cash is king. And I should say queen for respect. (laughs) And it's incredible. Every single time I walk, and I sit on about 20 boards around the world, and every single meeting I ever walk into, the CEO is discussing revenue growth, the margins, the profit, and people think they understand their story. And as soon as the CEO's finished explaining how they've done, I ask the next question, what was your cash flow for the period? And people look at me as if I'm crazy. And then everyone around the room interprets cash a different way. And the accounting profession, which I'm part of, the more complex we can make things for people, the more sophisticated we think we are as a profession. So if we can make cash flow so complex, we take your profit, we add back the non-cash items, we then go to the balance sheet and we look at the movement in every item and we give you a one-page source and application. I can give you the same answer in 20 seconds in any company. The quick way to calculate cash is the movement in all your bank accounts. So your cash at the bank and your short and your long-term debt. But that's something that's never been taught at a university. So everything we've done has one focus, make the complex simple. Every technique has been taking these really rigid accounting processes and say, if I'm a non-financial person, I'm a non-financial manager, how can I embrace and love the numbers? So the start of it is cash flow. The other key message is that a story of numbers is a four-chapter story. Profit is one of your chapters. Equally important to your profit is what I call your working capital, chapter two of a story. And working capital is three items. There's only three items a management team really needs to understand in the balance sheet. Accounts receivable, are we collecting properly? Inventory, or in a service company, work in progress, are you invoicing the work you do frequently enough? And accounts payable, do we have the right terms with the suppliers? The rest of the balance sheet, I just call other capital. What's happened to other and your management team doesn't really control that. The result of a business is your cash flow, your movement in your bank accounts. 
So when I'm sitting down with a management team, for example, I say to them, you made 1.5 million profit, but your movement in your bank accounts is 300,000. Let me explain to you why there's a $1.2 million gap between profit and cash. Once you understand your profit, what changed in your working capital? Compared to the previous period, what's been the change in receivables, inventory, and payables? And if you grew your working capital by 1.2 million, then it's easy. You say to the team, we made 1.5 million profit, but we then spent 1.2 million growing working capital. Can you now understand why the bank accounts are only 300? And the story of numbers is like reading a murder mystery. People, <laughs> now people, are, people are reading chapter one of their story and wondering why they don't understand the result your cash. Imagine meeting, reading chapter one of a murder mystery. You'll never know who committed the crime. We, we don't understand what the result is, our cash. And then it's, again, there's only seven things a person in a management team can control. Your management team are responsible for your profit and your working capital. There's seven levers. Price, volume, margins, and overheads. Those are your four drivers of profit. And your three drivers of working capital, receivable days, inventory days, or in a service company, work in progress days, and payable days. So the technique that we've created that's now become obviously part of the scaling up book, part of <laughs> implemented over 93 countries is the power of one. It's only seven things a management team can change sitting on the desk of everyone on your management team should be the power of one. Every day of your life, every decision you make, ask yourself, which of these levers can I change? And it's interesting because you might have had more success or have more insight to this. So, so often people are looking at their costs. I would say almost every client I've dealt with we've been able to put their prices up. You know, I was on the phone to a client yesterday and she said, you'll be very happy to hear that we've put our prices up seven and a half percent from the 1st of January. I said, I'm very, I'm very happy that you've done that. But there's a, there's a difference, isn't there, in those levers, you know, between volume and price and costs, overheads. Dom, so many companies you walk into and they say, you know, if we reduce our stationary costs, this is a good way forward. <laughs> It's like taking this beautiful white screen and painting a little black dot and focusing on the black dot. Your business is the white screen, the seven levers. And as you said, the relationship within those levers is critical. About 40% of companies I see, volume is detrimental to cash. So the more you grow, the worse your cash gets. And then you get salespeople who don't know this and they give discounts to sell more. <laughs> so not only is it already bad, but then it's worse because you're given a discount. Yes, you're growing broke. And then people say to me, profit is great, but our cash flow is so bad, we don't get it. And for your, again, for your users, never forget the next statement. Price is a gift that never stops giving. 
Price is always the most sensitive item to your profit, your cash, and for a valuation, it puts your valuation on steroids. So rather increase your prices and lose a little bit of volume than go the other way around. Within there is probably some cohort analysis. You know, we had a client come to the workshop and it wasn't until I said, is there a difference in your customer profitability between some types of customers and others? And the CEO went, mm, maybe. And they went away and did some work and they realized that they've got some customers. In fact, well, the guys are coming, the, the client who's with us today uh, on the farm, they, uh, they've stopped selling to small customers because they just, for the small customers, they just can't make any money. And it's interesting, Dob, that is an exercise that ask yourself, if you're listening to this podcast, do you know where your company makes and where you lose money? So if you segment your business, let's say you've got six or seven segments, what I would want to know is not the gross margin of each segment, but I would want to know for each segment, how much cash do you absorb or produce for the next dollar you sell? And then you should be creating a cash flow ladder. You should be growing for business where you're producing cash and re-engineering your business where you're absorbing cash. But anyone who runs a business should be able to answer that question. If I sell one more dollar in that particular business unit, what happens? And that's not a complex exercise to do. But again, it's a game changer. And I said to you when we logged in today, I need to go on to this job interview afterwards. I hope you get it. It's a company. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a company who I'm on the board of in Saudi Arabia. They sell equipment, medical equipment to hospitals. So we sold to government hospitals, military hospitals, semi-government private. And the company was very profitable, but always negative cash. And when I showed them the next dollar you sell for each segment, how much is your margin? And then I said, how much working capital do you require for each segment? So for example, government hospitals on average in this particular country were paying in almost 500 days, the average collection days. So even though we were making good margins in that segment, chapter two working capital was stealing so much money that volume was detrimental to cash. And we decided to actually cull one or two business units. And today the company's become a cash machine because they understand their story. They're growing where they make money and re-engineering where they lose money. Well, and growth growth sucks cash. So if you can if you can be deliberate about to start with knowing which bits of your business growth are sucking cash, then you can scale faster. Exactly, and everyone on a management team should also be able to answer the next question. Do I know what success looks like in my company? In other words, what should my margin be? What should my overheads be as a percentage of revenue? How much profit should we make? So for example, if I'm running a company, I should know we should make 40% margin, overheads run at 30, we make 10% profit. I also should know how quickly we should be collecting in days, how much inventory we hold, how do we pay suppliers? 
Cash flow is the result of growth and management. You need to teach your company how to run in color code green, and then you need to use the power of one. As you said, growth sucks cash, but management sucks cash if they're not running your business properly. Every time you change the way you run the power of one, if it goes in the wrong direction, money is leaving your doors due to bad management. So for example, collect slower, bad for cash. Improve margins, good for cash. But you need to be able to quantify the change to your company. So for example, if color code green is 60 days receivables, but we collecting in day 76, if I was explaining it to the team, I would say to them, can you see we got 16 days of bad management in collections? Every single day using the power of one is worth $50,000, for example. We got $800,000. In other words, 16 times 50,000. We got 800,000 sitting in other people's bank accounts that belong in ours. Can you now understand why it's so important to educate to the customer our terms? Growth sucks cash, but if you don't run your, your company in color code green, money is sitting outside your business that belongs if you ran the business properly. So you've got to teach the company what success is. So just the Power of One, your, the software tool that you've developed, which because you gave it away free, didn't you, during the pandemic so that people could use it as a tool to look at their look at their cash flow or adjust their cash flow and try and survive? Is that, is it still, I mean, for my clients, for my clients, it, you know, it's complimentary because I, I cover that cost, but. Well, Dom, the, during COVID, we realized that the world imploded and we decided to put our business on ice for three months and we al allowed people around the world to access our technology at no cost. And we gave them, I think it was three months free usage. So our revenue went down to zero because we basically gave away our software to help the world. So today, what we're doing is you've got to buy the software, but if it doesn't work for you, we'll give you a full money back guarantee. Because the only way to get people to commit to something is to say, I'm going to do it. But when you give people a free pilot, it's, it's incredible. People only use it on the last day. Yeah. You know, so what you do is in, in the tool, it says, look, what would happen if we increased, the, you know, your, your thing about the power of one is that what happens if you push up prices by 1%? What happens if you reduce costs by 1%? What happens if you change your AR or AP by one day? And, and I took that to a client and I said to a client, look, I think, you're, I think the big problem is that you're not charging enough. And they went, oh, yeah, but it's so hard to put up prices. I don't think the market will let us and our competitors are cheaper than we are. And I said, look, okay, what about this? Just do 1%. Could you do 1%? And they went, oh, probably. So they did 1%. And the only people who noticed were the salespeople because now everything wasn't a round number anymore. No customers complained. So we came back the next month and I said, how did that go? And they went, yeah, okay, you were right. Nobody noticed. It was all in our heads. I said, we'll keep going then. And so for the first 12 months, they put up their prices 1% a month, every month. Unbelievable. And at the end of the year, we get in the room and everyone's a bit cocky now. It's like, look at us, we've put the price at 1%. So then we had this conversation. Well, there's a bit of an admin overhead doing it monthly. Maybe we should do it quarterly. Maybe we should do 5% a quarter. 
And then people are like, oh, no, I think people will notice that. Okay, let's do another year at one and a half percent a month. And at the end of that 12 months, nobody had noticed again. And head office rang them up and said, how come you're making so much money? How come, you know, your margins are so good? And they said, well, we just keep putting the price up. And they said, no, 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 really, what are you doing? And they went, no, really, we're just putting the price up. And it's just so much in people's heads. Exactly. And that's why once you show people the power of one, it changes the DNA of the management team. So what you do is you put the seven levers down the side of your whiteboard. Your seven levers are price, volume, margins, overhead. And then you put your three working capital levers, receivable, inventory, payable. You call in your management team to the room, marketing, operations, sales, finance, and you give every one of them little sticky notes. And then you workshop lever by lever. Where can we get price increases? Which products or services? And then once you've finished workshopping each lever, come back to the whiteboard and rank them from most to least sensitive. If you can then choose the top four or five ideas and you replicate that every quarter, you'll turn around and you'll say, when did my business start to do well? And it's like the Jim Collins flywheel. It's the repetition of these changes that give your business the momentum and the financial performance you've never dreamt of. Everyone in your company owns the numbers. You need, anyone can understand the power of one. It's just educating your team. Don't be scared of the numbers. This is not about reporting. This is about improvement. I, I sometimes get some pushback from the head of finance or the CFO. They see potentially people fiddling with their domain. And then if there's something that they should have been doing, they feel bad, they're going to be exposed because here's a thing they should have been doing. Do you ever come across that? I always come across that. And the way to overcome it, you say to the CFO, you understand this. This is aimed at the people who don't understand. You report unbelievably well. You're sophisticated. But we need to teach your team to understand the numbers in a non-accounting way. And I'm saying the power of one belongs to everyone. The CEO is responsible for implementing the power of one, not the CFO. Because the CEO is responsible for the sales, the marketing, the operational people. If a CEO is doing their job properly, it's all about scaling up profit, cash, and value. There are seven levers to do it. Everyone in the company owns the performance. And Alan, what is it that you know that you wish you'd known earlier? What I wish I'd known earlier is, number one, we in the first business we created, honestly, we we today the business that I started is one of the biggest banking systems in the world. We should have done it on our own as three founders and got out early when the business was valued at a very high amount without getting diluted and, and realized that, you know, sometimes to grow a business to the massive organization globally and you don't have the capital to do it, valuations are very high in the early stages as well. Don't be greedy. And in the second company that I've done, even though I talk all around the world on cash flow, we make sure we run our business by optimizing our performance. We are obsessed about the numbers. We run the business by the numbers. And um, as I said, 
what would I have done differently? I have followed my dream. Every single day I wake up and I still think I've got this vision which I'm delivering and I've got so many more years to do it that I do it with passion. And I think that's my message to everyone. You've got to really believe in your journey, do it with passion, and then repeat, repeat, repeat. Brilliant. And other than reading the uh, chapter on cash in Scaling Up Again, um, what, uh, what other books do you think people should pick up and read? And it doesn't have to be about cash. This could be, you, this could be a book you were reading by the pool last week. Once a year, I've got the privilege to lecture or speak at MIT University in Boston, uh-huh. and they run an entrepreneurial master's program for CEOs globally. And one of the speakers a few years ago was Robert Bloom, who wrote the book, The Inside Advantage. Yep. Robert developed the strategy for Southwest Airlines. And I find Robert's book such an easy book to understand how to create an inside advantage in your company. It's fab, isn't it? It's, it's the, you know, the, the things your customers will trust you to deliver is already in the minds of your employees. You just got to go and talk to them and pull it out of their heads. Exactly. And Robert says in every business, can you explain your who, your what, your how, and your own it? So who's your core customer who's prepared to pay you superior pricing for your product or service? What is your uncommon offering that you're going to communicate to the core customer? How is your strategy to communicate the uncommon offering to the core customer? And then how are you going to own the little space that you're in? And if you follow the methodology there on every board that I've sat on, we've actually implemented the process and we've created a real inside advantage. That's fantastic. Alan, thank you very much indeed. I know you've got to rush off and do an interview. Thank you for your time this morning. Thank you so much, John. All the best. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.